Hi, welcome to another podcast of The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. I'd like to share with you today a book called Think Christianly. Author is Jonathan Morrow. He subtitles it, Looking at the Intersection of Faith and Culture. And I think this is crucially important. Christians often live in a bubble, and uh, they do everything on Sunday. They pray, and they sing, and do all these uh, good things. They feel warm and fuzzy. They listen to sermons, and they talk to each other. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they're not so different from the rest of the world. Uh, Chuck Colson on the back cover says this about the book. Think Christianly in a compelling and accessible way equips Christians, young and old, to engage the culture winsomely, intelligently, and confidently. And we don't engage the culture enough. We're letting the culture run away with this society, and it's leading to a lot of terrible things. We need to interact. And so there are a lot of uh, practical resources here to help all of us churchgoers to engage with today's culture in those moments uh, that, that talk about injustice or sexuality or suffering, politics, all sorts of things. And he also has, as part of this book, has some interviews with people like William Lane Craig and Sean McDowell, Jay Richards, and others. Let me just tell you what a couple of people have said about it here. Chuck Colson uh, says, as someone who's devoted many years of ministry to teaching Christian worldview, I'm thrilled to see dynamic and faithful worldview leaders like Jonathan Morrow stepping to the fore. Oh, amen to that. We've got to teach the worldview of Christianity, not just the Sunday aspect of Christianity. J.P. Moreland said this book is a remarkable, remarkable and important achievement. He says it covers an exhaustive range of topics. He said, I know of no other book like it in this regard, in this regard, and it's now the first book to turn to for learning the specifics of how to think Christianly. And I'll tell you, if there's anybody that knows how to think Christianly, it's J.P. Moreland. So he is a, a big fan of this book for good reasons, so I'm glad to see him on board with that as well. Um, as far as the preface goes, I just wanted to give you a, a flavor for what... Morrow talks about out there. He said, the thoughts and attitudes and convictions and all these people who are inside the church are rapidly growing indistinguishable from the thoughts and attitudes, perceptions of the people outside the church. Or as he puts it, out there is already in here. And uh, I find that so sad because I've talked on Worldview before and, and uh, talked to individuals about this. And um, you look at the statistics, look at the studies that's been that have been done, and you're finding over and over again that people who are Christians kind of accept the worldview of those outside the faith during the week. They they read the same things, they watch the same things, they spend the money the same way, and we're not thinking Christianly. We're not different enough in a good way. So that's what uh, Morrow says he's trying to do with this book. And he's got three parts to the book, and then I'm going to go to a particular chapter. But he says in part one, he said that we're, we're going to try to define culture and explore our biblical responsibility to engage it. I mean, you have to sell the fact that we do need to engage with our culture. So that's what he's going to do. And then in the second part, he talks about how you prepare to do that. How do you think Christianly? What does that mean? To live your entire life from God's perspective so we have confidence and we'll have a foundation of knowledge that we can go out there and show the culture the real Jesus Christ. The third part, last part, equips us, uh, this book will equip, equip us with 
cutting edge insight on some key issues. And that's for sure. So everything from who the historical Jesus is, genetic engineering is in here, God's design for sexuality, social justice. And like I say, he's got these really wonderful interviews with uh, leading Christian thinkers. What I'd like to do is uh, cover especially chapter 5. If we have time, I'll do another chapter, but at least chapter 5. It's called Cultivating a Thoughtful Faith. He uh, has a start in here, a quote from Dan Kimball, who uh, does a lot of things to do, has a lot of things to do with Christian um, thoughts about how we approach our culture, what the younger generation is thinking about. He says, our current times require us to know what people are saying and how to fully and lovingly explain our beliefs. See, that's the problem. We don't explain our beliefs very well. We let the culture define us, and we don't say, no, that's not what Christianity is. And there are a lot of misconceptions out there. He starts with some questions that people do ask that we better have answers to. Here are just a few. Why do you think Christianity is true? Wow, wouldn't that rock a lot of people back on their heels, even ones that have been in church for a long, long time? I mean, what are they going to say? Well, I believe it's true because God's spoken to me. Well, Muslims probably say that. Uh, maybe Buddhists do. I don't know. Uh, certainly the Mormons would say something like that. Well, why do we think Christianity is true? Because it warms our hearts? Because we read the Bible? Because it says in our coins... Uh, and God we trust? I mean, why do we think Christianity is true? Here's another question. How do you know God isn't just a figment of your imagination? So there's a question about the existence of God. Most Christians can't give any reasons except to say, well, he's mentioned in the Bible. Oh, really? That's not much of a reason. Here's the third question. If you grew up in India, wouldn't you be a Hindu? Uh, 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 yeah, maybe. Here's another one. You talk about God's goodness and love. Then why is there evil? What makes you think Jesus is unique from other figures in pagan mythology? Oh, I love that last part there, in pagan mythology. <laughs> the questioner is already framed in such a way that you're a goner, right? Because he's already put Jesus among the pagan mythological leaders. Here's another question. How can you trust a document like the Bible? It's been corrupted and changed by power-hungry church leaders. That one's also a kind of a loaded question, isn't it? Here's one last one that he mentions. Hasn't science made God irrelevant? In other words, uh, in the past, if we didn't understand something, we'd say, oh, I bet that's God. But now, he says, we understand so much more. We've got less for God to do. So I'm sure it's made God irrelevant. So in this chapter, I'm just going to touch on some of the highlights, which I think are so good. First, he defines apologetics because he says that's how we interact with people. And it is an odd word. He says it's a strange word, isn't it? He calls or defines it as learning what Christians believe and why they believe it and then being able to tell others about it. I really like that. Learning what Christians believe. Now, that's partially theology, isn't it? And why they believe it. Not the what. That's what they believe. But why they believe it. That's apologetics. And then I like that last part. Being able to tell others about it. It doesn't do any good if we know the truth, if we can't explain the truth, if we can't clarify what Christianity is all about. He also has a section here calls it only for academics with a question mark. He said that's a common objection. Isn't apologetics just for academics and intellectuals? You know, those uh, white Anglo-Saxon guys who are wearing tweed jackets and smoke pipes. They probably think of C.S. Lewis, maybe. 
Is that true, though? Is it for academics and intellectuals? No. Morrow says, nope. Everybody has questions, he says. He says, all of us, we do, our kids do, friends do, family. He says, certainly the culture does. He says, it's that simple. We're either going to think carefully or poorly about these questions, but those questions are out there, and we can't avoid them. He also challenges us by saying, first and foremost, learning why we believe what we believe is a matter of obedience to Jesus. And he gives 1 Peter 3.15. You can look that one up. That's a basic apologetics verse. And he says, apologetics will also be part of how we love God with all of our minds. That's what Jesus said we're supposed to do. Love God, sure. Love him with our heart and soul, but also with our mind. He says, defending the faith in the New Testament is not something that's optional. Yeah, I've, I've heard that before. Somebody said we're all apologists, just some of us are going to be better at it than others. And he says the study of apologetics does something wonderful. It strengthens believers. It gives Christians confidence. Boy, I say amen to that. We've asked our apologetics class at church on more than one occasion, what are you getting out of this class? And the number one answer is not necessarily that they're out converting others, but they said it gives them the confidence that they can go out and talk to others. I can't tell you how many times I've heard or I've I've understood people to say, I need to bring so-and-so to church. As if I can't save them, I don't understand what they're asking, I'm totally lost, I'll just bring them and hope the pastor can get through to them. But we're all supposed to be out there with confidence and engaging others. He says apologetics helps believers overcome tough questions and feelings of doubt. We have doubt. Greg Kokel said uh, apologetics is good because it'll help you uh, take on the, the one person that has more questions than anybody else, and that's you. Yeah, we all do. He says uh, Christian evidences and Christian apologetics prepares us to remove barriers that keep people from really considering the life and the good news that Jesus offers. Yeah, they don't really understand Jesus. I think of apologetics almost like uh, you're clearing the weeds out of the way, like you got some beautiful flowers, but nobody can see them very well because there are weeds everywhere, and we're just pulling the weeds out of the way so that people really understand what Christianity is. He says the gospel is never heard in isolation. There's always some kind of a cultural backdrop to it. He says... Take a look in the Bible. He said, we are called to destroy arguments and ideas, but not people. That's so important. He says, reread this. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to go after bad ideas because people's lives are at stake. And you know what they always say, ideas have consequences. But we're supposed to treat people with patience and respect. So that's something I think that always needs to be said. If we're going to engage with a non-Christian in, in a serious conversation about our faith, if we have good answers, we don't want to use those answers to destroy somebody and go, ha, another notch on my gun belt. I mean, that's not the point. We're, we're trying to ruin their the arguments they may have and cause them to doubt. Or somebody once said, it's like putting a pebble in their shoe just so they go away limping a little bit. But we're not trying to hurt them. He says also in another section here, we've got to learn to ask good questions. And guess what book he mentions? The book that I think is the number one book in dealing with others on a good level, trying to get across the Christian message. It's Greg Hochul's book called Tactics. And that's now in its 10th edition. I would strongly recommend everybody have that book. It's not that long a book, and it puts you in the driver's seat in a good way. You're not 
trying to trick people in conversations, but it's just a really thorough way to engage people effectively. And he says there are two key questions. Uh, he says an optional follow-up. But here are the two questions. What do you mean by that? He says that's just information gathering, trying to figure out what the other person is saying. So if the other person makes a claim like there is no God, you might say, well, what do you mean by God? Um, and it's a really good question because you're just asking for clarification. So the person has made a claim. You just want to make sure you understand what the claim is. So the question is, what do you mean by that? And now the follow-up question is, let's say you understand the claim. Like maybe they say, well, evolution is true. But of course, there are a lot of different kinds of answers to that one. What is evolution? Get them to clarify that. What do you mean by evolution? And once you figure that out, then how did you come to that conclusion? There's your second question. So the first question helps you know what they think. And the second question is why they think that way. Or you might see it this way. The first question, what do you mean by that, is asking for, in a sense, uh, a topic sentence. You know, what, what's the issue that you want to talk about? What's your claim? What's your argument? And then, how would you come to the conclusion is saying, what's your support? So I'm an English teacher, and every good paragraph has a claim and followed by support. The whole rest of the paragraph is trying to prove that point. He says the follow-up question might be, have you ever considered... And that's where you can begin to offer an alternative. But if you don't feel comfortable and all you want to do is just ask them a couple of questions and you can go away and think about it, then it's, what do you mean by that? And then how did you come to that conclusion? All right, so let's continue. I'll wrap this up here in a minute. Um, he talks about something called the apologetics pyramid, which I think is pretty interesting. First is the, is there truth? So he thinks that's the the bottom foundational, uh, bottom story of a pyramid here, is there truth? Okay, and he says, if that's true, then you've got different worldviews that talk about what truths operate out in the real world. Things like, where did we come from? How did life get started? Things like that. And then third one is, is there a God? That's a theistic argument. And a little higher up on the pyramid is, if there is a God, has he spoken? Right, that'd be the revelation area. And then the fifth one is, who's Jesus? And did God raise him from the dead? That's a resurrection issue. And then at the very top of the pyramid, what's the good news of Jesus and his message? So I know that's hard because you can't picture this as a pyramid, but I think it's such an effective way to talk about things. At the bottom is truth. You, these days you have to argue whether truth exists or not. And then secondly, what worldview makes the best sense out of the biggest questions of life? What's the most effective worldview? And by the way, I have a talk on this about worldviews, so you can look up my talks. I got one on Vimeo when I was at Mars Hill talking about worldviews. But not all worldviews are equal. Some are far more, far closer to reality, and I think Christianity is the closest one to reality. So again, let's work our way up that pyramid because I think that's so, uh, so effective. Truth is at the bottom. We've got to argue for truth. Then we have to argue for worldviews, which one makes the best sense and seems the closest to reality. Third step up on that pyramid, does God exist? That's a theism argument. And then has God spoken? If, there, if we think there's a God, has he spoken? That's the revelation issue. And then if he's spoken, who's Jesus? He's called the Word in John. So who's Jesus? And did God raise him from the dead? And at the very top, the gospel, 
What, what's that news about Jesus that we need to share with others? So that's one chapter, just one chapter in Jonathan Morrow's book, Think Christianly. Oh, I, I can't tell you how strongly I believe in this book. We need Christians who think all week, who use their faith as they're watching movies, who uh, use their faith when they're reading, when they're using their money, leisure time, talking to kids, talking to neighbors, that they're Christians, full-time Christians who've thought through these issues. So I highly recommend this book. Jonathan Morrow's the author. One more time, the title is Think Christianly. Okay, well, thanks for spending some time with me and uh, hope to catch you on another podcast.